Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the podcast miniseries from Curzon about the work of acclaimed director Peter Strickland. I am Jake Cunningham and I am thrilled to be bringing you this collection of conversations all about one of the most exciting British directors working today. We're on a journey from the shocking mountains of Transylvania to the shopping malls of Reading. And I've secured the services of two esteemed film writers to help us along the way. Catherine Bray. Hello. And Stephen Ryder. Hello. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Before we start, can I just gather what the correct term is for a collection of Strickland fans as we are? Uh, is that Stricklads, Strickstands, Berberians? Or do uh, we... I'm, I'm going to go in along the lines of the sort of the murder of crows and, and go with a fetish of Stricklands. <laughs> <laughs> a nylon of Stricklands, yeah. Um, no, I, I, was, I, I don't have an answer for you, but I was, <laughs> I was thinking that you should have called the miniseries Lie Back and Think of Strickland. Oh, I, uh, I think you'd be into that. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so the plan is to delve into each one of Peter's films and along the way we've actually got Peter to talk about them as well. He sat down with Ian Hayden-Smith, the maestro of Curzon's Q&As and the editor of the Curzon magazine and we'll be punctuating our discussions with Peter's own thoughts on his own films. So do stick around to hear from Peter as he talks about all of them. That is Catelyn Varga, Berberian Sound Studio, The Duke of Burgundy and his new film that brings new meaning to a killer dress in Fabric. Uh, if you'd like to watch along with the show, if you haven't seen these films before, uh, at the time of this episode's release, we have a 50% off code for Curzon Home Cinema for those first three films. Just head to CurzonHomeCinema.com, search for Catelyn Varga, Berberian Sound Studio, Duke of Burgundy. Remember to enter the offer code Strickland and that will whack half off. And it's going to be in cinemas and on Curzon Home Cinema that day too. But before we get there, we have to go back to the beginning. I think the big question to start with, who is Peter Strickland. Uh, Peter Strickland. He's uh, the the last great hope of British cinema, so I say. <laughs> um, no, he's he is uh, a British filmmaker that kind of sprang up from nowhere um, back in the early two thousands, and is now kind of seen as, in some ways, a 
experimental filmmaker, an art house filmmaker, some people call him. He likes to kind of lean into a lot of genre uh, without fully kind of uh, making genre films, I would say. Um, each of his films contain elements of horror. Each of them can uh, contain erotic elements. Um, but he is somebody that is uh, always surprising his audience. And that's why it's kind of so exciting to look back at his relatively short career so far, just four films, but each and every one of them has something special about them. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, what's, what's the exciting thing about Peter Strickland uh, having a new film out from him, but also being able to revisit these films as well. What are you looking for when you go to a Strickland film? Uh, well, he's a filmmaker with sort of endless references. You can always go down these kind of rabbit holes, um, whether it's looking up, you know, what a cast member did previously or, you know, where the background of somebody who's done his music. And he'll always lead you into these sort of strange places where you'll probably emerge the other side a fan of a whole new obscure thing that you didn't know about before. It might even be his own music. He's a musician as well as a filmmaker. He's in a band, the Sonic Catering Band, and he runs his own label, uh, Peripheral Conserve. So, yeah, he's someone who I think expresses a multitude of enthusiasms. That's who he is to me. Yeah, and you'll always come out of an interview with him feeling definitely like the stupider person in the room because he's referenced so many other things and other films that you've never heard of. I got a lift from Woodhaven to Anthology to see Kikuchi, the Iwamoto film about laundrettes, in Jap- the Japanese laundrettes. Um, but I'll quickly go for a short bio on him before we get into Catelyn Varga, his first film. Uh, so he's got a Greek father, a British mother, raised in Reading, that will pay off. Uh, uh, when in his youth, he's a member of the Progress Theatre. He directs his own version of Kafka's Metamorphosis. Uh, in 1996, he makes a short film called Bubblegum. In 2005, he then makes a short film that would inspire Berberian Sound Studio, his second film that would be his breakout success. Uh, and in 2009, he makes Catelyn Varga, the film we're talking about in this episode. And uh, since that time, he's been living to and from uh, London and Eastern Europe as well. Now, Stephen, Mm -hmm. how did Catelyn Varga get made? This guy's he's not coming from an extremely wealthy family. uh, And suddenly he pulls this feature out of thin air, shot in the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains. Yeah, we say thin air, but I think his movies definitely seem to be pulled from like cinema itself. Um, You know, he's... He's a big fan of of these genre movies, as I mentioned, but he is very, very willing to kind of work in art house fare. And that's why he was able to make something like Catalin Vargo, which came, the, the budget for this one came from his uh, inheritance that he got from, I think it was his uncle uh, who died and left him not a lot of money, but enough for him to kind of risk it all, yeah, head um, up to Hungary. I mean, obviously, we we trust any trivia that we can find on the internet. Um, and rumor has it this was twenty eight thousand uh, pounds. He did a lot with budget. it. Yeah, it's yeah. an incredible budget. I mean, it's it's not an effects heavy film or anything like that. Um, but it is a film that has a very specific sense of like location and and and. Although it has this sense of location, it's also kind of out of time as well. Uh, so the production design and especially the sound design, which we'll keep kind of uh, looking at throughout his career, um, is is really special in this film. And for twenty eight grand, you know, you you have to be uh, you have to be rather impressed. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think it's time that we hear a little bit from the man himself. So here is Peter Strickland talking to Ian Hayden Smith all about Catelyn Varga. Let's talk uh, about the the genesis of Catelyn Varga, which. Um is, is, is quite interesting. Um, I started it in 2003, I think. Um, I think a lot of it came from listening to music, as a lot of these, these things do. Um, 
listening to a piece by Stephen Stapleton and Jeff Cox um, called The Grave and Beautiful Name of Sadness, which is like, I think it's 22 minutes of, it's like Pop or Verse soundtrack to um, Nosferatu. Uh, I had been to Romania to visit someone and just the Carpathian Mountains, it kind of formed the, the atmosphere. And I was, just, I was just into the whole rape revenge genre and just trying to sort of be logical about it really. And just this idea that, you know, people have done something really um, abhorrent. Um, what if you meet them 10, 20 years later? Uh, this idea of evil, you know, it's uh, when you look at films, you know, uh, essentially I was in jail one night and you meet criminals who actually are, can be really funny, really charming. So just exploring that different side of, 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 of yeah, I mean, this, this idea of someone being evil all the time, it just, for me, it doesn't make sense. And I'm, I wanted the audience to be a bit like, um, like a jury, really, just to decide for themselves is someone wor worthy of forgiveness or not? I didn't want to hand that on, on a plate to, to the audience. Um, so just looking at the different points of view, really, looking at it from the assailant's point of view, looking at it from the, the victim's point of view, but also the idea of um, counter-vengeance, that she gets revenge on someone, but that someone has kids, that someone has relatives. And um, So yeah, I guess just looking at that genre and just taking the sensational elements out of it really because I always had a problem with the, that those films with you know the rape is often shown and it's kind of titillating or um, I just find that um, a little bit it doesn't work for me it is very interesting you look at at the film and as you were saying about the the way it's been represented in the past a film from I spit on your grave through to Miss 45 late 70s early 80s films um, this became an incredibly disreputable genre or subgenre, um, and you, you've taken that element and transformed it into something completely different. By the way, that you approach the narrative visually. If you take the, the, the foreboding soundtrack out, for the most part, the film is just this this road journey of a mother and child. Well, I've always liked. Um, I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed taking things from the trash, really. It's like alchemy, um, so disreputable genres, whether it's, as you say, rape revenge or pornography, um, giallo, which is now not, you know, it's seen as high art now. Um, but back in the early 2000s when I got into it, it was still seen as, you know, it wasn't on the same pedestal as, as a Bergman or Fassbinder. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess, I mean, it's a tricky one because I, I don't like it when people say elevated. I'm doing elevated genre. So I'm not trying to be chauvinistic and think I'm above certain films. I think, I've, you know, there are issues with, 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 yeah, it's a tricky one, really, because, yeah, I did say there was an issue with, with some of these films. Um, but really, I'm, I'm just, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, I think you can find some really lyrical passages in films which are disregarded. I think it's just taking those elements, taking the good bits, leaving out the bad bits, and kind of re-contextualizing somehow. But yeah, I mean, I think as, as, as you say, it's, um, I guess it is a, a road movie of sorts. A slightly slower one, but yeah. And within the, the context of the environment you shot it in, you'd, you'd been living back and forth over in 
that area of Europe for, for a short while. And it's, it, it's interesting that you, you talk about revenge and then re-revenge or counter-revenge. Um, it does fit into certain, certain folkloric fascinations with blood oaths and things like that that seems to really tap into that world. The blood feud, yeah, that's, that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? I, you hear stories about these different codes that you can kill someone at, during the daytime, but not at night. So you can see them on their porch at night, but the code is so deeply ingrained in certain societies that you, yeah, it, you, you can't kill that person. So uh, yeah, I guess there was this, that element, but also the idea of, of the, the ballad, which, and again, it's hard to, hard to put that in, in, into words. It's more about, you know, a certain feel, a certain rhythm something quite simple um but also just having spent time in transylvania just that relationship people have to 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 the earth that you know people grow their own vegetables and uh, how they move how they how they get around how, how they speak which is very um, i'm talking about the, the the hungarians in transylvania more than the romanians but they're, they're very different from hungarians in hungary for instance uh, so, but again, it's really difficult. You know, I, I am an outsider. Um, I don't think that invalidates my perspective, but I think it just gives it a different perspective. And I think it's impossible to be authentic. But within that, you can find something quite interesting. You know, I think if um, Laszlo Nemesh made a film about London, it could be really interesting. I think outsiders can see things we can't see. I mean, I've often had friends from Europe who've come here for the first time and notice English habits or whatever, things that I completely overlook. And it's an interesting tradition in cinema, you know, whether you're going back to Ang Lee arguably directing the best Jane Austen adaptation with Sense and Sensibility, or before that, Vim Vendors in America with Paris, Texas, or what, a decade before that, um, Werner Herzog with Strosek, which is an extraordinary look at American culture. That's my favorite, Herzog, actually. And there is something very interesting what you do, but the, the other element of the film that really fascinated me is when you cut 10 or 15 minutes into an outside shot in town, it, I suddenly woke up to the fact, yes, this is in the present, because there's so much of the film that has this timeless quality to it. Well, that was Romania in 2006. You could see people on a horse cart using their mo mobile telephone. Um, so I was aware of what we were doing, but at the same time, it wasn't that contrived. Um, you could make it not quite the same way Padajanov would have done his work in the Carpathians with Shadows of Our Forgotten Ancestors, but you were kind of heading in that direction. <clears throat> um, and again, it was like a very natural, organic, anachronistic perspective on life in 2006. Maybe I haven't been there in quite a while, but I imagine it's not so dissimilar now. It's and quite I, interesting also because I think that was just before they joined the European Union. So had I known then in 2006 that we were in, they were out, and now we're heading out and they're in, it's just kind of, that's, that's mind-boggling. And I mentioned foreboding earlier. One of the fascinating elements for film, you, the, the sound, does give the film this, this whole other layer. But one of the great sequences that's in the film that's repeated at the end is this shot of the mother and son on the card and the slow zoom from behind in on them. 
could you talk a little bit about the the mix of the visuals with the sound and the music in the film? Um, it's, it's, I might I might be disappointing here, but we didn't give it much, much thought. I, I I was in a band before that. We made soundscapes from cooking, uh, so we had a very specific way of working, which we just did by trial and error. And um, I'd never worked in film before, so. I just use the same methods as with a band. And I honestly, honestly <clears throat> didn't expect that kind of reaction from the film because we, we, had, we, we, we did the band, I think we were doing it from 1996 onwards and we always got ignored. And I was just kind of used to it. I enjoyed doing it, but we never got any kind of reaction. Um, but that led on to Barbarian, that realization that you take sounds which are dismissed on record, but put them to images people react to it, it kind of activates the imagination, which led on to people like Penderecki with The Shining, Katy Barbarian and Luciano Berio with um, their work, which I thought, that's on record, but what if, what if we use that in, in a film? So really, you know, with, with, with the soundtrack to Cotton and Varga, um, we never thought for a minute that it would get attention. We just focused on each scene, what does the scene need? And I, I guess a, a big, big influence was Luke Ferrari with um, Prescrian, which um, used, kind of foregrounded a lot of um, sound you normally associate with, with the background, you know, insects and so on, and using different EQs. Um, so being quite natural, you know, not, not using too many effects, just it's all about the mix, the, the positioning of, of the tracks, the EQ. Um, not too much reverb or anything like, 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 like that, really. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, uh, so this is it. This is the first film. Peter Strickland is on the scene. What does this film present Peter Strickland as? Catherine, you've seen Catelyn Varga. Who is Peter Strickland in your head at this point? Um, he is uncompromising. I remember I was working at Film 4 at the time that this came out and one of the execs there, Catherine Butler, said, I've just come back from, I think it was Berlin, and I've seen this amazing film. Um, you know, I went to look up who it was and it wasn't sort of somebody from Eastern Europe who'd made a film in the Carpathian Mountains. It was someone up the road in Reading. <laughs> and she said, you've got to watch it. It's a rape-revenge thriller, sort of. Um, and then she said, actually, forget about that, because that's going to set you up with the expectation of a totally different kind of film. It's going to set you up with the sort of uh, Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave type film. And it's not that. It's much more 
um, sort of dreamy and almost you know night of the hunter I think is is an influence on it it's it's two people on a journey um, towards terror in their case rather than away from it and as you were saying in the introduction it's about what you don't see mm. yeah um, it's quite a, it's quite a terrifying film um, for moments that are quite intense on screen but not necessarily for why we're expecting them to be so scary yeah i think that that um the the comparison to night of the hunter isn't what i've heard before but i think it's really really apt all the way from kind of the folk songs that are sang throughout the film by Catalin and and the children um to the fact that there are moments of extreme violence in this film but we don't get to see them. Mm. Um, I think the closest we get is is kind of at a midpoint when this rape revenge kind of aspect comes into it. But most of this is off screen and most of this is imagined by the audience. And um, already you're starting to get a sense of who Peter Strickland is yeah. um, through this kind of motif, this idea that you don't need to show everything. You yeah. can show what you want. Yeah, and you've got this, this dreamlike... Uh dislodged location feel um, that we'll find in all of the films. They, they never really take place in a in a form reality that we know. Um, and I think he's really interested in, in crafting that mood of, of being unsure of a space that a film exists in. Um, and it's also an incredibly economic film. Obviously, he's, he's working on such a tiny budget. But there are single shots uh, in this film that give you so much information for the plot that allow him to then do a two-minute camp fire dance jazz uh scene to get completely wrapped up in the magic of that because that's really what he wants you to experience uh he'll say i think he says in his interview that he he doesn't really matter he doesn't really care what events happen to uh what characters and what gets resolved in the end it's that experience throughout Yes, he's extremely non-didactic, which I think is something I like about his filmmaking. He's not trying to impose a moral standpoint on you, which is not to say that he doesn't have one, but he's leaving it extremely open for the viewer to sort of find their own place in that. Mm. Um, It's interesting in that interview that we've just heard how how casual he was about the the sound of this film, uh, that they kind of feel like they were making it up as you go along. Uh, I've been recently watching Twin Peaks and I'm sure it's probably because it's in my head Um, but I think the sound design is very David Lynch influenced on this Um, and I think sound would become not just a topic in his films in the next one we'll talk about but just such a key element and a way of identifying a Strickland film yeah I don't think he being this being his first film his first feature film um, I don't think you can really fault him for taking influence from someone like David Lynch um, you know because there is a lot of influence here to me the the shots that you've spoken about of the camera kind of zooming into a kind of wooded forest where you can kind of make something out in the background and you kind of can't at the same time and that drone kind of over the uh, the image as it zooms in we know from Twin Peaks and we know from uh, Lost Highway that shots like that create tension they create tension in an audience if you're kind of paying attention to it and uh, I think that this is a great starting off point for his sound design work it's not perfect yet in my opinion like there is too much maybe of an influence from David Lynch there for me Um, but I don't think that matters because this isn't quite as surreal as a Lynch film. It isn't quite as um, kind of bone-breakingly weird. It's right. It's set in a rea- in a reality that we can realize and imagine, and um, all of that kind of comes to a head as the film reaches it, uh, this really really dramatic conclusion in comparison to the rest of the film. I think, which is a very slow build-up. That's interesting. You said, I, I, I sort of felt like this was maybe more being influenced by the same things that were 
influencing David Lynch, if that makes sense, yeah. like actually sort of leapfrogging him and going back more to the sort of English folklore horrors of the 1960s and obviously there is a lot of sort of folklore feeling in this it's kind of stuff like uh the virgin spring the ingmar bergman um rape revenge story i think there's kind of quite a bit of that really distant past in there as well as like the sort of 80s obviously um, yeah uh it, you do have this quite heady mix of this uh kind of uh foothill jazz mixed with these uh metallic sharp scrapes that will make you very aware of the fact you're you're changing from a scene to a scene. He's not trying to hide the construction of this, even using the sound design to make you aware we've ended this moment, we're moving on to the next. Um, Catherine, I want to talk briefly about, because uh, you, you wrote a piece a few years ago about the film Elle, which tackled a similar subject to this, mm. um, uh, the Isabelle Luper Paul Verhoeven film. And I wonder whether you see a, a comparison between Catelyn and Elle in the way that they they broach their relationships uh, with the the men that committed such acts of violence against them. Yes, um, so I guess to recap that piece, it was just arguing that um, I'm less interested in this notion of quote-unquote strong female characters, which I think people often use to mean characters who are so physically strong nothing bad is ever <laughs> going to happen to them. Um, and you know, being more interested in properly rounded three-dimensional female characters where you can't always predict what they're going to do. And I think Katalin Varga, she's a good example of that. I don't think we necessarily know where her journey is going. And it's also interesting, I think, to note that this isn't like a Last House on the Left, Ice Pit on Your Grave type film where the vengeance immediately follows the act of violation. You've got 11 years as a time gap in here. And the only reason that she's then sort of prompted to take action is because her husband finds out about it and isn't very sympathetic, not to sort of totally ruin the entire plot. Oh, that's, the that's the first five minutes. Five minutes. Um, so, yeah, it's a different and slightly more complex take on that than maybe the more exploitative end of that grindhouse genre. Which being said, I mean... I kind of love a lot of those films anyway, <laughs> and I think uh, probably Peter Strickland does as well. Um, he certainly, I think, does the same thing as a lot of those exploitation films, particularly the Italian ones, of creating sound worlds that have nothing to do with what you're seeing on screen. Or not nothing to do, that's wrong, but they have, um, they're, they're very unexpected. So thinking like think about things like the cannibal horror cycle in Italian cinema, and then those Robert Donati scores over the top of them that are completely the opposite of what someone who'd never seen a cannibal horror film would expect the score for a cannibal horror film to be like you probably picture i don't know death metal and guitars and stuff and they're nothing like that they're often very delicate mm. i think um a lot of strings and like yeah, piano exactly. isn't there in them yeah no that's for sure i just th i just want to pick up on the fact that i think you're right about these kind of um exploitative rape revenge films that have happened in the past they came out of a very specific time and place in the 70s and the 80s things like i spit on your grave or, or last house on the left which was a remake of the Ingmar Bergman film, um, Virgin Spring. But I think what we're seeing now is a lot of rape revenge films coming out in 2019, 2018, 2017 that are kind of doing the same thing. And they're all positing this idea that revenge is, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy and a bad thing. And if you kind of chase revenge, then it will ruin you. Um, but what Catalan Varga does is it's not really about revenge, 
Um, it's a kind of about a woman just trying to discover herself and try and come to terms with what's happened to her. And when you've got such a well-rounded character as Catelyn, um, who has to also look after her son throughout this film, um, who is, you know, a product of the abuse uh, or the assault, um, you're getting into kind of very murky kind of personal character territory that's fascinating to watch that goes beyond just a kind of moralistic revenge standpoint yeah i mean the the kind of final 20 minutes of the film um flips the idea on its head with who we expect the perpetrator to be and what his personality might be like and how he interacts with catelyn and it makes for an incredibly tense viewing for what are quite wholesome and charming events Mm -hmm. and i think this is a great example of strickland doing what strickland does best in showing us something that feels completely horrible but not showing us anything at all yeah he's so good at that as well though isn't he like he you almost imagine that as he was you said that he made barbarian kind of the idea of barbarian before Catalin Varga which is really interesting to me because they share so many similarities in terms of um in terms of only showing what he wants you to see and using sound design or in this case using dialogue to kind of paint a picture for the audience I don't know how you felt about it Catherine but I I've watched quite a few um, kind of rape revenge movies that that go really intense in their kind of viscerality or like, you know, the way people are attacked. To me, this is more disturbing, like the way that she describes it and the fact that she's describing it to someone who was involved in it. Um, I think it's... um it feels much more real. I mean, if you think of some of the stuff that happens to the villains in a conventional rape revenge drama, I mean, they're lucky if they just get their head bashed in. Like there's that remake of, I think it's the remake of I Spit on Your Grave, where the guy gets fish hooks pushed under his eyelids and pulled back and then she puts fish guts in the eyes and lets the crows peck his eyes out. And you know what? I'll be honest and say that to me that is harder to watch than a scene with three people in a boat. But I think there's something that's much more enduring in terms of the way that it stays with you doing it through dialogue and it's also a really sophisticated understanding of how these kinds of sexual crimes can exist in society you know there are people who have a relationship with people that they've been assaulted by and I think this film acknowledges the complexities of how human beings really relate to each other in a much more accurate way than that sort of cathartic torture porn sort of uh, setup. Mm, Yeah yeah that's not the film that Peter Strickland wants to make, I think. And I think that's what makes him so interesting. Yeah. I would watch it if he did, though. Yeah, me he too. Goes full <laughs> and just, yeah. Maybe this is all part of his plan, just so he can get a bloom house. <laughs> that would be great, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it's fair to say this is his most depressing film. Berberian does get grim and gross at points, um, but there is a catharsis to that. Uh, where it zips it... along though like you expect yeah, it yeah. to be much more slowly paced I think and I think the pacing is really clever because it doesn't fall for that thing that sometimes you'll see in films that I don't know premiere at major European art house festivals where the filmmakers have mistaken profundity for a really long shot of a field um, he's always moving it along as every shot sort of earns its its keep and has a reason to be there Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, th- this is full of imagery that I'm sure Bella Tarr would have been looking his <laughs> lips at, but Peter Strickland just makes it about a sixth as long. I um, think I think what you the reason that it might be his kind of most depressing film is because one thing it does like that his other films have is is a sense of humor. Um, there are moments here the the conversation she has with the other 
man over the dinner table, I think, is kind of darkly funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that his from Barbarian onwards, there's a certain, like, dark, very Strickland-esque sense of humour running throughout the films that I think this one maybe doesn't have as much of. It depends a lot on the story world, doesn't it? I mean, this is the, the that folkloric revenge thing, that's not a genre that's noted for lols, whereas... <laughs> Jello and some of the sort of stuff that we're going to come to talk about with the other films, you know, those are worlds where humour is inbuilt, particularly the maybe some of the in fabric um, British comedy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if, if Catelyn does sound really heavy, I I would say to people to seek it out because it's it's eighty two minutes long mm-hmm. as well. Um, I, I like you're not going to feel like you wasted your time on it, and I do think within his filmography it gets forgotten. Uh, and although I, I don't think there's as many calling cards in this than when we might look at other directors and see those first films and say, like, oh, you can totally tell that that person went, would go on to make that. That's not as obvious here. But there are little moments that when you go into Berberian, when you go into Infabric, you're going to feel like you've earned a little bit of payoff from going back and finding Catelyn Varga to start the whole journey off. I think for anyone who wants a smart, character-driven film there's a reason that the film is named after the you know the 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 main character and it's because she's so fascinating and she drives the plot forward so well that um you know you want to find out what happens to her by the end of the story i think it's one of the top examples of the sort of just go and do it school of filmmaking as well the take a risk thing i mean i think he said he had a choice between buying a one-bed flat in bracknell with that (laughs) legacy from his uncle or going and making this and he made this and you know what i'm glad he did yeah and i'm sure catelyn varga was uh, a commercial success (laughs) that definitely allowed him to buy multiple properties afterwards anyway (laughs) Uh, i think 2009 it was like avatar Catelyn Varga. That was the one, yeah, 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 yeah. number yeah, two, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, let, let's wrap up there on Catelyn Varga. Uh, remember to use that offer code Strickland on Curzon Home Cinema if you do want to catch up on the film. Uh, that will get you 50% off. Uh, in our next episode, we'll be heading out to a sound recording booth where terrible things happen. And we'll be talking about Berberian Sound Studio as well. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Steve. I did. No, yeah, I liked thanks. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it I appreciate a... <laughs> the support. Yeah. It, it really you pulled the rug from under me there. Yeah. So. Thank you. Um, it was Strickland's breakout film. It was uh, named by Mark Kermode as the best film of the year and gave everyone who saw it blood-soaked flashbacks whenever they cut up a lettuce. We'll see you in Italy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.